All right. Okay. Good morning. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Um, I'm, uh, I've stood up here and I'm very, very aware of how small this block of stage is. And those of you who know me and have heard me speak before will probably realize that I tend to walk around quite a lot. So I would really appreciate it. Well, my wife's busy. She is a first aider, but she's got a lot of time. Is anyone here a first aider? Great. Well, uh, Auntie Jane. Uh, you are my first aid. If I fall and twist my ankle because I've, I've gotten carried away when speaking, then um, you're the one who has to come to rescue. I find it really strange, actually. I've not spoken since we've had my face on a screen, um, and it is a bit bizarre. I'm sort of thinking I should have probably recorded it and just lip-synced. That would have been much easier, wouldn't it? Oh, well. Next time, next time. So it's great to be able to share with you this morning. I've picked out uh, a Bible story that uh, many of you will probably be familiar with. Uh, I'm sure it's one of my absolute favorites uh, because I think there's loads in there. There's loads that you can grapple with, you can pick out, you can discuss um, and hopefully be challenged by. Um, I don't know about you, but I love a challenge. I really love a challenge. And that's because I like to constantly try and progress myself. I like to improve in life. And, and we do that by taking on challenges. If you sort of plod through life doing the same old, same old, then you never really, you'll never really reach your full potential. But if you put challenges in place, then you've got a greater chance of improving, of growing. Um, we can always grow. And that's, that's an important thing. We can always grow regardless of where we are, uh, what life stage we're at. We can always grow. So the story I've chosen to share with you today is the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm going to read that right now, and then we're going to pick out a few key things, which I think would be good for us to take home today. So it's in John's Gospel, chapter 4. It says this, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming for you. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. So quite a lot, quite a big text this morning, quite a lot in there. Uh, firstly, I think it's really important to set the scene to figure a few things out. We probably all know who Jesus is. Uh, he's the son of God. Jesus came to earth as part of God's master plan to reconnect humanity with God the Father, to reestablish that relationship that we once had with God. He came to give us the opportunity to, say, hey, to, opportunity to say sorry, to say, hey, dad, I'm really sorry that I messed up. I'm really sorry. And he showed us a different way of living. So Jesus came to earth and he had an earthly ministry and he rocked the world and he still continues today to rock the world. And then we have this lady who arrives and is drawing water at the well. And as you can probably tell, she wasn't really the most respected person in, uh, in society at that time. Uh, uh, back in Jesus' time, there was a hierarchy society, in society based on social class, on gender. Men and women didn't particularly uh, speak in public. There were very specific roles within families. So the, uh, the women would often go and uh, fetch the water for the families and for the livestock. That was one of their ways of supporting the family. Uh, this lady had had five husbands and uh, the man that she was currently in a relationship with was not one of her husbands. And then there was also the issues of uh, the issue of the whole Jews versus Samaritans. Uh, that was a big issue. That was a really big issue. Uh, it would have been frowned upon for a Samaritan to speak to a Jew and for a Jew to speak to a Samaritan. There are so many reasons uh, that society would have thrown at Jesus uh, that would have told him he should not be interacting with this lady. He should not be having anything to do with this lady. This story tells us that the lady was at the well at noon. And now we know the hottest time of day is around lunchtime. And it would have been very unusual for people to go and draw water at that time. They tended to go uh, when it was cooler, which makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, uh, the majority of people would have gone not when she went, which again suggests that she wasn't very well respected in her community. She uh, was trying to avoid people. And usually when you're trying to avoid people, it means that you possibly got something to hide. She didn't want to be around other people. She didn't want to be around other people. Perhaps maybe when she'd been around other people in the past, she'd been discouraged. Maybe there was something that happened. Maybe uh, she'd been treated poorly based on the type of lifestyle that she had been living. So on many levels, this interaction that Jesus uh, was involved in uh, would have been frowned upon. But Jesus carries on regardless. He doesn't care about social hierarchies. He's not restricted by what the world tells him he should and should not do. He lives and operates based on what God asks of him. 
I find it fascinating how Jesus chooses to approach this situation and other situations. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I meet people, I'm not so bad these days, but when I was younger, when I used to meet people, I used to get really nervous and I used to feel a little bit awkward and I'd say something or do something and think, oh no. And I'm sure you guys are probably thinking yourselves, like I've had those sort of like brief first impression moments and you sort of like face palm afterwards because you're so embarrassed what you do. I remember there was one time I went for a job interview when I was younger. I must have been in my early 20s. And without realizing it and without intending to do it, I insulted the business that I was applying uh, for a position at. And and needless to say, I didn't get the job. Um, uh, It wasn't wasn't one of my finer moments. So I'm sure you guys have got similar stories that you can can, uh, relate to. But Jesus is always meeting new people and he's the best at meeting new people. He's always bumping into new people in the streets. He's always uh, uh, being invited into people's houses. He's always meeting and sharing with new people. In fact, interestingly, um, he often chooses to meet people in their houses uh, and he often goes out of his way to get to different locations to be in the company of different people in their natural habitat. Why does he do this, I wonder? Why does he do that? Why does he go out of his way to do that? Well, I believe Jesus does this for a reason. It's because he wanted, and he still does, want to meet people where they are at, both physically and spiritually. And at the same time, we can say the same today. Jesus meets us where we are at. So Jesus turns up at this well, he approaches this lady and he says to her, hey, can I have some water, please? Will you give me a drink? Is there any greater need? I've been um, pouring down a bottle of water down there. Is there any greater need that we have than water, really. Like we, we, we wouldn't survive day, to, day by day without water. So Jesus takes this human need for water. He takes this human need for water. He turns around and says, hey, can I have some water? I'm really thirsty. And she replies saying, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? How can you ask me for a drink? You see, she also is aware of how this is not a common interaction. This social interaction shouldn't normally happen. But Jesus uses this moment, this basic human need that they share to create an opening. He uses this as an opening to tackle the greater issues in this lady's life. He gets down to her level physically and spiritually, finds an opening topic that they can both relate to. And what I love, what I absolutely love about this story is how Jesus transitions it from being one about a basic human need, the need for water, to being a conversation about worship. He sees her, he reads her, he tells her about herself, he offers her a solution, and then he says, why? Because we were made to worship. Because we were made to worship. God is spirit. And his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying, hey, this is how you should live your life. This way that you're currently living it is not the right way. That's not how you're meant to be living. You're plodding through life right now. It's not right. It's not sustainable. It's wrong. It's not what God intended for your life. But there's hope. I can offer you hope. I am offering you a way out. And you know what? Jesus does the same for us today. He does the same thing, exactly the same thing for us today. He says to us, hey, I know you're struggling with addiction. Hey, I know you're struggling with that family dynamic. Hey, I know you're struggling with relationships. 
Hey, I know that school is unbearable at the moment. Your work situation is really tough. I get it. And I know what's going on in your life. And he says to us, here's the answer. Focus on me. I will point you to my father, to God the father. I'll point you back in the right direction. I will put you back on track. Who remembers scare electrics? Yeah. Right. Who, like me, basically pulled the trigger like right back every single time, and it just went flying every single I never I don't think it ever completed a lap. Every time. Because like you've got to go fast, right? You had to pick up the cars. Well you got the raw end of the deal, didn't you? Well, I think ninety-five percent of the time, as a child, I raced those t- things too flipping fast and they went flying off, and I collect them from whatever part of the room they got wedged into uh, when they went flying. Um, uh, and, uh, and then, you know what? I made the same mistake again and again and again and again and again. I didn't ever really learn because I wanted the speed. I wanted it fast, but I never, I never was successful at it. And you know what? This lady, you could say the same about her life. You know, she was tearing through life, doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then she, and she was way off the track. Uh, and she made the same mess ups over and over and over again. And perhaps some of us can relate to that. Perhaps we can relate to that. You see, the issue is that in order for us to worship in spirit and in truth, we have to worship honestly. And so whether we're new to this whole concept of faith or following Jesus, or whether we've been on this track for a while now, we still have to worship honestly. We have to come to Jesus, to the foot of the cross, honestly. What do I mean by that? Psalm 86 verse 12 says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify your name forever. That means that we don't leave anything behind. That means that we learn lessons. It means that we don't try and hide anything from God. It means that we come to God with everything revealed and open to him. We open up all of our hearts and we worship with every fiber of our being in every area of our life. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That means giving it all. We can't love God. God wholeheartedly and give him everything if our minds are still focused elsewhere, if we're still sinning against him in some ways. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have everything together in order to worship God, because that I do not believe. What I'm saying is that when you make a commitment to Jesus, You're saying, hey, I want to turn away from my life. You're acknowledging it. You want to turn away from that old life. And I want to focus on you, Jesus. I want to focus on what you have planned for my life. I want to commit to what you have planned for my life. And that means making sacrifices. Some of those sacrifices will be easier than others. Sometimes it's not so drastic, perhaps, but sometimes it can be more challenging. There are some instances when it might be more uh, more tough. And there can be things that we're holding onto that we know are not good for us. We know they're not really good for us, but it can still be really hard to put them down. Really hard. Because what we've done is we've created a comfort blanket out of them. We hold on to that addiction because it's what we know. It's our way out. It's our release. We remain in that relationship, even though it's toxic, because the thought of not being in a relationship is unbearable. 
But in order to truly commit ourselves to Jesus, we have to be willing to stand there and offer up whatever it is that's holding us back, whether it's good or bad. Whatever is standing between us, whatever that barrier is between us and Jesus, we need to be willing to lay it down and let Jesus direct our lives wherever that, that, wherever it's due to take us. So Jesus turns to this lady and said to her, hey, can I have some water? He took something very, very, very basic, something that anyone can relate to. And then he worked in her by challenging her, by challenging her way of life, by challenging her issues. And then he managed to bring the conversation around to being one about worship. You see, Jesus does not like sin. Jesus does not like sin. Jesus was not going to stand there and say, I'm totally okay with this. Totally okay with the fact that you have five, you've had five husbands and, uh, uh, and then now you're with another guy. Uh, and he wasn't going to say that because, because he wasn't going to let that conversation pass us by. Jesus likes to challenge us when we get things wrong. Because Jesus hates sin. Jesus does not like sin. But what he is willing to do is he's willing to work with this lady because even though he hates sin, he absolutely adores. He loves sinful people. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. He loves his people and he wants to help us. He wants to work in us and help us through our situations. And so that means to me that whatever it is that I've got going on in my life, whatever I am struggling with at the moment, the stuff uh, that maybe God doesn't like in my life, that doesn't mean that he leaves me there and abandons me to fix it on my own. It means that he is there every single step of the way. He's supporting me every single step of the way because he loves me. The lady would have been there towards the end of the conversation thinking, oh my gosh, how on earth does this guy know all this information about me? He's literally rattled off all the information that he could possibly know about my life. He knows all my secrets, everything that I've got hidden in the closet. How on earth does he know this? He's, he, he, he's a Jew, so he wouldn't know any of my people. Um, I've never met him before. Um, I, um, I, I, just, I just don't understand. He knows my life story, and yet he still wants to talk to me. I don't get it. And I'm sure maybe maybe some of us can think of things that actually, if we're honest, Jesus wouldn't like in our life. And maybe we think, well, would Jesus really want to associate him? Yes, he does. He loves you. He wants to work with you. Jesus does not push you away. It's us who pushes Jesus away. He wants to help us regardless. And that is the reason that Jesus came to earth. That is the reason that God sent his son, sacrificed his son, because he loves us. He didn't do it for his own health. Quite the opposite. He did it because he loves us. He loves his people, his children. He loves you and he loves me. Now, I, a lot of people have this idea, and I'm not, not necessarily saying uh, people here, but a lot of uh, people um, have this barrier. One of the barriers for them coming to know Jesus is nothing to do with Jesus at all. It's actually to do with the church, the people who we call the church, us. You see, a lot of people believe that the people who go to church have their lives all together, that everything's fine, everything's fantastic. And you know what? Sometimes we present that image. But you know what? I'm broken. I'm absolutely broken. And I'm sure many of you would say the same. In fact, I'd be surprised if anyone here at all has it all together. The reason that we come to church, the reason that we should be here is because we want more from life. 
We want more from life. We want to worship Jesus. And because we recognize that we are broken people living in a broken world with people who crave Jesus, uh, Jesus' love, because that is the only thing that can fix us. And you know, Jesus knows our brokenness. Jesus sees our brokenness. We don't even have to tell him what our brokenness is. We haven't got to tell him our issues. We haven't got to tell him our struggles. We just need to, to, to be willing to let him into our life. He already knows everything that's on our heart. He sees it and he meets us there. When I was a bit younger, when I was in my early 20s, I was at a festival uh, called Momentum, which is a, a Christian festival. And I was really struggling with my self-worth. I was really, really low at this point. And I hadn't really told many people about it. But I was really super low. I was having thoughts like, well, why on earth would God love me? Heck, why would he like me, let alone love me? Or maybe he loves me then, I guess, but he can't really like me. I was having all these thoughts and, and I really struggled with my self-worth. And, uh, and like I said, I didn't really share this with many people. And then one time uh, at the end of the service, um, a couple of people from this church who were also there, they offered to pray with me and, and they prayed with me. And, and for the first time ever, I said yes. Uh, and, and I said yes and I meant it. And, and I really focused in and, and you know what? God spoke to me because I committed myself. I said yes, Jesus. And he spoke to me. And, uh, and he actually, well, as they're praying for me, he gave me a picture. He gave me, he reminded me of a memory. Now, it's a weird memory. Um, normally when you think of memories, you think of like either happy times or not so happy times. You think of big parties, you birthdays, um, big school events, big family events. But this was really random. I was a little kid. I might have told some of you already. I was, I was quite young and I was kicking a football around my granddad's garden and my granddad, he had a wall around the outside of his garden. It had cracks all in it. And uh, my uncle and my granddad were helping to fix the wall. And they basically dug really, really deep holes in the ground to make like these, uh, these columns, these pillars uh, fixed to the wall. Um, and they were really, really, really deep. Um, and my granddad was standing on the grass at normal level. And my uncle was down in the hole. My uncle's over six foot. But he couldn't. It's not my uncle Ian, in case you're wondering. Um, uh, uh, my uncle's over six foot. Um, and uh, he couldn't get out of this hole because it was so, uh, so deep. And so my granddad, his dad, was reaching down into this hole and was pulling my uncle, his son, out of the hole. And it was huge. It was profound. It was, I was like, oh my gosh, God, that's amazing. That's incredible. And then I shared it with someone as we were walking back to the tents and they shared with me a, um, a, a bit of, um, a bit of a psalm. And just really quickly, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry, lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And it was just exactly my situation, exactly the picture that I'd been given. And I was like, whoa. And for the rest of the week, God was confirming things through people. People were saying things to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're amazing. I love you. I love you. And then I come back to Guernsey and I go back to work. This is before I worked here. Uh, I went back to work, got back on with the uh, the nine to five job. And uh, and it sort of fizzled out. I was like, oh, maybe I just hyped it up. Maybe it's Adam's imagination running wild. Uh, maybe it's just me, just me. And then I came here Sunday evening and a lady, uh, she stepped up and she said, I've got a picture I feel God's given me a picture and uh, it's it's basically of a guy who's in a pit and I'm like uh, there's a guy he's in a pit and uh, there's a man and he's reaching down to uh, to to pull him out and he's trying and trying and trying and they sort of get so far and then he slips back in and I thought oh 
Yeah, well, that's essentially what's happened to me then, isn't it? And then she said, but what you need to do is uh, just turn around, because if you turn around and look the other direction, you'll see a set of stairs uh, leading out of the pit, um, and Jesus is standing at the top with open arms waiting to embrace you. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was looking around at all these people who had been away with me, and I was like, guys, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And then they're all blank. They didn't notice a thing. And I was just like, this is amazing. And what it did to me is it showed me that God heard me. He heard me. He saw me hurting and he understood. And what's more important and really, really, really encouraging uh, is the fact that God saw me as a work in progress. He saw me as a work in progress. He didn't expect me to be fine on the first night. He didn't, um, he didn't expect me to have all the right moves and to do everything right straight away. He didn't expect me to be fixed straight away. No, he saw me and he told me, Adam, we've got this. We've got this. God spoke to me, he spoke to me multiple times whilst I was away, and then he confirmed it. And then when I started to doubt myself again, he showed up again saying, I'm here, I'm still here, I'll always be here. You know what else excites me? This lady, this woman at the well, she was firstly a Samaritan, and that's not great news considering Jesus was a Jew. Secondly, she had a shady past, something that Jesus confronted her about. And finally, no disrespect intended, but we've got to remember what time this was happening in. Um, she was a woman, and women were lower down in the hierarchy back then. It was a man's world back then. A man's world back then. But Jesus sends her on her way. He challenges her, he works in her, and he's, he sees something in her, and he, go, he sends her on her way. And so she goes. It says, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come. See a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? This sinful person, this unlikely candidate, she was the first ever evangelist. And she was handpicked by Jesus himself. Handpicked by Jesus. What that tells me, what that tells me is Jesus wants to use the ordinary people. He wants to use me. He wants to use you. He wants to use the ordinary people, to be his hands, his feet, and his voice on earth. We are his chosen people. We are Jesus' hands, feet, and voice. And that means that we should be the kindest. We should be the best. We should be the most awesome. We should be the most wonderful, supportive, uh, trustworthy people that there ever were. No pressure. Because Jesus was all of that. Jesus was all of that. And he asked us to carry on that work that he started on earth. How do we do that? There's so many ways you can do that. The way you live your life, follow Jesus' model, the stuff you post on social media, the stuff you share, the stuff that you read that you don't necessarily realize that you're taking in, but you're taking it in. It's, it's scary. It's negative. It's false. It can be depressing. And I wonder why we do that sort of stuff. I wonder why we share stuff, why we retweet stuff, whatever it might be, whatever platform we use. Uh, last Wednesday, I was speaking at the Wednesday gathering, and, and I'm going to repeat this bit again. Paul says to the Galatians, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This lady, she didn't want to, to, to please the world anymore. Not that she was doing a great job about that anyway. She wanted to please Jesus. She wanted to carry on Jesus' work. She wanted to point people to Jesus. And what a challenge that is. It's so important for us to spread the good news of Jesus. It's so important for us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's what it is. 
It's so important that we speak goodness into the world so that we can help people like this lady at the well. So what do I want you to take away today? Firstly, Jesus does not care who we are or what we've done. He wants to work with us. He wants to help us. He wants to prevent, um, uh, it won't prevent him from uh, uh, wanting to work with us, wanting to be with us. He wants that relationship with us. Whatever we've done in the past, it's, it's, we get a new slate when we invite Jesus into our lives. He's also willing to go to great lengths. Yes, he came down from heaven. Yes, that thing on the cross. But like when Jesus came to earth, he was, he was human. He was human. And yet he goes to some really uncomfortable places. Like, okay, the example of the, him meeting this lady at noon, that would have been really hot. That would have been really hot. He doesn't take the easy route. He doesn't take the comfortable route. So no matter where you are, where however messy it is, Jesus will meet you there. He's happy to meet you there. Thirdly, I think we all have a well, don't we? We all, have a, we all have a well. We all have a place where we think maybe Jesus could actually meet us. What is your well? Spend some time maybe thinking this week, what, where, what or where is your well? Next, Jesus doesn't only want to help us fix our lives, but he wants us to be a part of his future plans. He wants us to be a part of his plans, just like he used the Samaritan woman. And finally, Jesus, yes, he hates sin, but he loves sinful people. He loves you, absolutely loves you. He still wants us despite our stories because nothing can separate us from the love of God.